Uh, my name is Katie Mayer, and I do love the Dodgers, um, and I do love the Bible, and that's it. No, just kidding. There's more. But um, I, I shared, I overshared perhaps too much about the Dodgers in first service, primarily because opening day happened, and I'm just really stoked for baseball season. Um, some people don't like baseball, and I'm sorry for you. Um, but uh, I won't d- jump too deep down that uh, well, but I am the spiritual life director at a small uh, Christian school in West Salem, and we are called Western Christian School. Uh, I'm a spiritual life director. A lot of people ask what I do all day and what that means and what that entails. I'm basically a youth pastor that works in a school, which sounds kind of crazy this day and age, Um, but from moving from working in a church for almost a decade to being able to be with the people that I serve every day is crazy to me. And so it's just an absolute pleasure to walk with people uh, and alongside people just every day. And I get to see them in their best times and in their worst times and... I love it. I really do love it. And I think, I don't know if they're here. I know we've got some Sandy M. Christian. I see you in the back there, Sandy M. Christian. We're smaller and cuter, but love Sandy M. Christian too. Um, yeah, I know. Us, us pioneers, we're, we're a, little, a little smaller, but um, I love where I work and I love what I do. And it's an honor to be here today. I've gotten to serve a couple times on worship team here, uh, primarily because I know the Takarchuks and I go way back with Jason. We work together for a little while. And so it's fun to play here. And there's a couple of takeaways just that I have of this church. First, you guys are a really welcoming bunch. Um, You guys have always made this place feel like home, even though it might not necessarily be my church home. And so thank you guys for being so awesome. And then the second thing that has always stuck out to me is how much your pastoral team loves you guys uh, and loves this community. All it takes is Pastor Sean laughing like one time, and you're like, oh, that guy. He likes listening to me. And so it's just, um, it's just an honor to be here and to be asked and to be a part of a church that loves the Bible so deeply. I think it's really cool um, how like the core value of just sinking your teeth into scripture and understanding and listening and learning from what it says is wild to me. I mean, I think you guys, was it 45 years you were in the book of Matthew? Does that sound about right? Um, And I know you guys are working through Hebrews now, which is insane. What a hard to understand book of the Bible and how great that you guys have a pastor that wants to invest into you and not just talk about the easy stuff, but talk about what the word really says and to to kind of wrestle with that. It's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. Uh, With that being said, though, I am going to give you guys a break from Hebrews. I don't know if you want it or not, but here we go. Yay! Um, And we are going to be in the book of Colossians. So if you want to open up, it's just a little guy in there. So if you flip too quickly, you'll miss it. Um, You can also grab it on your phones. Um, But if I do see Candy Crush, you got to let me know what level you're on. Um, Because I think I'm on like 3,000 or something. It's crazy. Actually, Renee's probably got way more than that. Um, Sorry, I'm giving shout-outs to people in the crowd. All right. Um... Let's jump in. I'm going to give you uh, Colossians. We're going to be in the very final chapter, Colossians 4. Um, so you probably have to flip one more page. Uh, but I want to give you guys just a little bit of context on what's going on here. Now, it says I'm a Bible nerd. I just graduated with my master's in theological studies, which basically just means that I read the Bible a lot um, and a lot of people who write about the Bible. But there's a lot of people who like to... Um, 
uh, argue a lot of different positions, yes? I don't know if you've ever felt that way in Christianity. You're like, wow, everybody has a different view on things. Um, but I'm, we're just going to go with tradition here and say that Paul wrote the book of Colossians. Um, people can come at me, and I'm, you probably have valid points, but we're just going to say traditionally that Paul wrote Colossians. And with that being said, if we were to understand it that way, Paul writes this and he's writing from prison, probably Roman captivity. And he, it's part classically what we would call the prison epistles, which is basically just a really fancy way of saying that he was in prison and that he wrote a letter. An epistle just means a letter to some church in Colossae, probably a group, a home church that was meeting there. Um, He spends most of the book talking about how um, Christ is above all else. Christ is better, which should sound very familiar going through Hebrews, right? Jesus above all. He's better than all the things. He talks about how he was, um, he was the firstborn in him. All things were created, heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all good stuff, right? And that he's before all things and that we're reconciled to God through him. And then we're going to find our text today after all of that at the end in Colossians 4. Uh, hopefully, you can follow along in your books or in your Bibles or in, on, on, uh, on your phones. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Um, thank you, God. Uh, it says that it's, it's um, sharper than a two-edged sword, that, Lord, you would, um, you would divide the things in our heart that would not be of you, Lord, that we um, would learn about you, that any word um, that you want to speak directly to us would just plant a seed in our heart, um, and anything that's not of you would just fall to the floor, Lord God. Uh, we love you, and we trust you in your name. Amen. Amen. Such a great passage. Colossians is one of my favorites, probably because it's short, and I can be like, oh, I read a whole book of the Bible today, but I love it. Such a great passage, and it's at the end of the letter, and Paul is leaving these people um, that he's writing with some really practical uh, tidbits. Um, verses two through six focus on getting back, track, uh, back onto track with like just little normal acts of devotion. And as I was reading and studying, I kind of broke this chunk of scripture, I think, in outlines. And so I broke it into three main chunks. And the first is this, that Paul tells us to live a life of prayer, of prayer. Prayer is essential. Prayer is non-negotiable. Um, a fellow pastor friend of mine always says that God wants to do something in us before he can do something through us. And uh, that is what prayer is. It's God doing something in our hearts. And I think what's so difficult about prayer for me is that I can't quantify it. Uh, I, if, if, when it comes to the Bible, I can read, I can go through like, oh yeah, we're reading this in the Old Testament, my Bible reading plan, we're reading this in the New Testament, check, I was successful. Prayer's not that easy to do that with. Um, 
You can't really, it's, it's, it's not necessarily measurable. It's also very personal. Um, no one can do it for us. We can learn about God through listening to sermons, listening to podcasts, uh, reading books, um, but there's really no substitute when it comes to prayer with our relationship with God. Um, it's like a friend. Uh, it's, it's startling on social media how much you can learn about somebody without ever actually meeting them. Um, you can learn about you know, where they're from, what their hobbies, what their interests are, without ever actually having a personal relationship with them. And, and what we typically call those kinds of people are stalkers. <laughs> but we don't want to be just, quote unquote, stalkers of God, right? We want to be people who know the Lord in a relational way. Um, basically, uh, I don't know, if you want to get to know a friend, you got to sit down. You got to talk with them, right? Um, you're never going to know how they tick or how they react to certain things or what their favorite foods are or different things like that unless you sit down and have a real conversation. Um, you can know a lot of facts about somebody, but you can't really know them until you, get to, until you get to know them. And so it's through prayer that we can start to deeply know God. And that's all great, but how are we supposed to pray? And I think Paul gives us four really great places to start. The first is he tells us to be devoted in our prayer. Uh, the word for devoted in Greek can also be translated to busy oneself with, um, which I love this picture. There's so many things that I can busy myself with. I uh, can busy myself with TV. That's always my first one. Uh, I can busy myself with work. I can busy myself with coaching softball. I can busy myself with worry. I can busy myself so much that I become busy with my own stress. Anybody else? <laughs> but we can busy ourselves with so many things, yet the one thing that can radically influence and actually change our circumstances, or at the very least, how we're facing our circumstances is what we forget to preoccupy ourselves with. And prayer doesn't have to be a one-and-done type situation, right? There's no minimum word count. <laughs> uh, there's no maximum word count. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. And the way that I've been trying to apply this to my own life um, is to have an ongoing conversation with God. And he wants to be a part of it all. So just remembering to ask him for help. I, I ask all the time for wisdom. I would assume, you know, working with youth. <laughs> wisdom, Lord, how can I best talk to this person? How can I best interact with them? Um, wisdom and guidance, man. It helps me get, keep the right perspective uh, throughout the day. Second thing that he tells us is to be watchful in our prayer. And when I read watchful, I know you guys were all thinking it immediately. Your minds go with me to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? <laughs> uh, but I, I think about this when, when Peter and James and uh, John are sitting with Jesus, and he, Jesus is about to be arrested, right? He's, um, he's ultimately going to be crucified, and we're going to celebrate his resurrection, right, next week. But he's going to bear all the weight of our sin, and it, and it weighs on him when he's in this garden right before he goes to die. And, and Jesus prays for a little while um, away from his three buds. And he's like, hey, you guys pray. I'm going to go pray over here. I'm going to do my thing. And he comes back, and they're all asleep. Now, I understand that. I, am, I, like, I like my sleep, you know. But Jesus, it's weighing on me. He's pretty frustrated, right? So he comes out and yells at him. I don't know. Maybe he sternly talks to him. I don't see Jesus yelling too much. But he said, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Now, I doubt that Peter, James, and John really knew what was going to happen, right? Have you guys read the Gospels? Uh, They were kind of oblivious most of the time, right, to what was actually happening and to what was going on. And uh, I mean, it's nice for us because hindsight's 20-20, right? We can read back and we're like, well, duh, guys, Jesus was going to die. How could you be so blind? Uh, That's just how I read the Bible. Not you guys, definitely not. Um, (laughs) But when we look at it... uh, I don't think they fully knew what Jesus was going to have to walk through. And they didn't know um, what the plan was going to be. And I think, though, if they had known, I don't know if they would have fallen asleep. I think they would have been there praying as hard as they possibly could. Like, there was going to be no tomorrow, because for Jesus, there ended up not being. Um, All I'm saying is the lesson that I kind of take out of this is that I don't know what's going to be coming at me next. And I don't think you know what's probably going to be coming at us next, right? And to be fair, the last few years have been a real good indicator of that, yes? And so let's be people of prayer that pray watchfully because we need him now, but we're going to need him in the next thing that's coming. Does that make sense? And so let's be people who are watchful, who don't, don't fall asleep on the job, but pray uh, do, uh, pray watchfully. And then, you guys, I skipped this last service, and um, a lady was like, "What was the fourth? What was the fourth thing?" And I was like, "Oh, I said it in my. Oh, I didn't." So this is a this is a second service exclusive. We should pray thankfully, have thankful prayer. Cultivating a thankful heart might be one of the best things that we can do. Um, whenever I change my inner dialogue from like annoyance, frustration, anger. Uh, criticism to thankfulness, I can tell the immediate difference, and it only just takes a moment. Um, As soon as I start praying blessing and thankfulness over the things and the people in my life that are frustrating me, I can feel the shift in my spirit, and it gives me a fresh perspective and a fresh fresh life. Um, It's also interesting that the word in Greek for thankful is this word um, eucharistia, which means Um, which is kind of where the word, not kind of, it's where the word Eucharist comes from, which is just a fancy pants name for communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, Communion is a time where we all come together. We give, we're going to do it at the end of service actually. And um, uh, give thanks for the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But it also reminds us of that new life that we're given and that we get to live in. And that's, isn't that like the most perfect picture for thankfulness? That even in the hard things, even in the difficult seasons, Jesus is going to bring new life out of the darkest of circumstances. And then he tells us to be purposeful. The fourth one, to be purposeful in our prayer. Uh, Paul asked the people to pray for him. And not just general prayers, but specifically asking that they would pray that he would better preach the gospel so that he could present it in a way that nothing would get in the way of it. Um, A couple years ago, I had the honor of being able to go to um, this well-respected leader's house in our denomination. I I think I snuck in the back door, truly, because I don't know how I got invited. Um, But I got in, and um, he is just this, like, insane man man of God and of prayer and has built kind of his whole ministry, a very successful ministry, and attributes it all to God and prayer and coming to God in prayer. And what stuck out most when he was just talking, it was kind of just a dialogue with him about how he prays and and, and kind of how he's lived his life. And what stuck out to me most was his prayer routine. He starts every day reading his Bible at, oh, dark 30 in the morning. And he walks around and prays around his property. 
and he's got these like columns in his, in his uh, living room, and each one was a specific person for that month that he had decided he wanted to pray for. And so as he walked by the columns, he prayed for each of those people. And then he was talking about all the trees on his property, which was crazy. Uh, and each one was like a different nation that he would pray for. And Lord God, for Kenya, God, would you move mightily there? And, and all these amazing um, reminders that he was just very purposeful and intentional about what he was praying for. And um, I want to be a person like that, that intentionally prays and goes to, goes to battle for people. Um, and I'm not the most consistent in this. I'll be the first to say, but I know that I want to be more like this. Um, and on my drive, my commute, like I used to have a very short commute and I have a much, I have a 20 minute commute. Whew. Uh, but each different block or different sections, I like to pray for people just going into my workday. And like I said, I'm not consistent, but I'm working on it. And it's just nice to have that reminder and that settling before I go into the workday. And so um, you can take that if you would like it. But the second, um, the second big chunk we're going to take a look at, the second big um, normal act of devotion is to live out our beliefs. Um, this next chunk of verses, Paul, uh, Paul is, is this push towards evangelism. And um, I grew up in the church, and that is, um, I had an experience with that word that made it the most terrifying Christian word that I've ever, I've ever experienced. And it was this, on a Sunday morning, it was Mission Sunday, and they had the missions pastor come up and preach the word, and he was, he, that guy, he shouted. Uh, don't remember much, except the fact that he would talk about how when the light turned red, He'd pull up and he'd turn to the car next to him and he'd roll his window down and he'd look at him as if he was asking for directions and say, do you know how to get to heaven? And in my little 12-year-old heart, I went, I can't evangelize. I can't do it. It's the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Who does that to people? That sounds awful. Like, and what would they think of me? And then do I just drive away scared? I don't understand. I got extreme anxiety over that. (laughs) But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about evangelism. I think Paul gives us three specific instructions in verses five and six. And I think we're gonna see that telling people about Jesus actually looks way more like showing people who Jesus is. Uh, He says in these verses to be wise. Mm. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, basically people who don't believe in Jesus. And that word for wise is um, a Greek word because it was written in Greek, uh, Sophia. And Sophia isn't this unattainable kind of wisdom. It's a very practical, boots-on-the-ground kind of wisdom. It's the kind of wisdom that doesn't just understand something, but it actually takes action based on what you know. This verse is basically saying to conduct your life in such a way that reflects the understanding that you've received. It's not book-smart knowledge. It's more like YouTube street smart, you know? I fixed a lot of faucets in my house because of YouTube. I didn't read any books. Uh, probably should have, but it's fine. Um, can learn. Uh, we don't have to read the Bible just so that we can have all the facts um, and so that we can find out that we're right and really just have the best crafted, crafted argument to like just cut people off of the knees. No, that's not why we read the word. We read the word. Um, so that we can learn and apply what we've read to our own lives. Um, and isn't that the best way to know that Christianity isn't so, just some like dead religion, right? But that Jesus is alive and working in our lives. The second thing that he says is to be all in. It says, make the most out of every opportunity. 
And I like the verb here. It could actually be, um, could actually translate, uh, instead of being making the most out of it, could translate to buy eagerly at the marketplace. And the implication is that it's like a hot commodity. Hot commodity, you gotta buy it. Um, For my students at school, it would probably be like one of those Stanley water cups. They love those things. Uh, Crocs, love the Crocs. Um, AirPod, AirPod Maxes, they love those. But basically what this is saying is to eagerly purchase every chance you can get. Um, Can you remember the last time you eagerly purchased something? Uh, Maybe it was like three years ago and it was toilet paper. Maybe, maybe it was just a few weeks ago and it was eggs because apparently no one could keep those in stock. Wild. Um, hopefully, I don't know, I don't have chickens, but I'd love to someday for fear of running out of eggs. But all that to say, you know that feeling when you, you find something that you wanted back in stock or maybe you've saved and you've saved and you've scrimped and you put it all away for this one thing and you're like, today's the day. On Amazon, I'm clicking. I'm not even clicking add to cart. It's just buy right now. It's a good feeling, isn't it? That is the feeling that we get to have about showing people Jesus through us. There are opportunities that are all around us, and we get to take those moments, and it doesn't even involve rolling a window down to yell at someone. Pretty exciting, huh? The last one that I think that Paul shows us is to be Winsome. It says, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Okay, honestly, who doesn't love somebody who treats them with grace? Isn't that just the absolute best? I remember one time I was a little kid, uh, and my grandpa had some property, and he had a golf cart, and I was like driving around his like driveway-ish area. I was probably like 12 years old. Um, had just been just scared about evangelism at church, and then I went to my grandpa's house. Now, uh, <laughs> driving around in a golf cart, right? And I, I went a little too fast, and I got a little too aggressive, and I, um, I smashed the t- front of the golf cart in my mom's van. And it wasn't that bad, okay? All right, it sh- just a little chunk of plastic came off, and I dented the bumper. But I was absolutely terrified of my grandpa. Like I had heard stories from my mom that he wasn't always the nicest, and I hadn't experienced that. But I was just, I was scared, and I had to go tell my grandpa. And I walked in, and he's laughing, and he goes, "Oh, Katie, it's fine." And I was like, "Oh, whew, thank you, grandpa." And then I went to my dad, and it was not fine. Um, uh, but it's okay. We're still close. It's all good. Don't worry. Don't worry. But that, that feeling when someone treats you with grace, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Um, I remember this one time I went out to, I went out to lunch a little while ago uh, with, a, with a mentor of mine. We sat down, and, and, and we um, met the server. We're like, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, okay. We ordered, um, and then we ate, and then... The guy brought over the check, and he set it down, and he said, hey, it's been a real pleasure serving you guys. And I wish that I could stress to you, like, the interaction that we had was, like, zero, was pretty much that. Uh, We ordered, said thank you, we ate. And so we asked him, like, what do you mean by pleasure? And he's like, oh, I've just had some really unpleasant customers lately, and so I'm just really thankful that you guys were nice. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, all right. Big tip for you. No, um, but it really struck me how 
first of all, how easy it is to be kind <laughs> and how little it takes just to show the love of Jesus through our actions. Um, could you imagine if we had just been like just the worst and rude and like, oh, it's too busy here. Why are things taking too long? And I need my food now and I'm hung, I'm, oh, I'm hangry. And then we would have prayed before our meal. And I just think that sometimes people get the answer about who Jesus is way before we even start talking about Jesus. Um, our words can so easily open a door, but they can also shut those doors really quickly. Uh, especially these days, let's make sure that our speech is full of grace and adds flavor to whatever we're talking about. And then lastly, the big chunk um, that I think Paul is calling us to is to live in community. Um, verses 7 through 18, uh, Paul writes to a bunch of people that actually like live in the community of Colossae. And um, I'm not going to read it to you all because it's a little boring and also I won't pronounce all the names correctly. So all that to say, in the end of all Paul's letters, he just writes to people. I think if you count it up, there's over 100 people that he like shouts out specifically by name. And what stands out to me about this is that Paul values relationships. Um, he wasn't just addressing a church. He wasn't just addressing an unknown group of people that he'd never met before. He actually invested in these people. He prayed for them. He cared about how they walked out their lives. And just, just like Paul values, I think, community and lived in community, we too are created to live in community, just, um, just like God, who has this weird community built in himself of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are made in that image, and that we are made to be people who live in community. And this, I'm not going to lie, is probably the most beautiful and infuriating blessing that we've been given as, uh, as the body of believers. Um, I mean, if you've been on social media recently, you probably can understand a little of what I'm getting at. Yet to be Christians, it means that we're to be in relationship, in community with those that we agree with and also with those that we don't. Ah, I don't like that one. But if you take a quick look over the hundred people that Paul talks to throughout all of his letters, um, you're gonna find people who tried Paul's patience, uh, people who had faithfully helped in Paul's ministry, uh, people who completely like ghosted him, walked out of his life, um, but it never stopped him from investing and living in community. And let's be real, it can be really hard to live in community, and we all have our issues, and we're all working on things, yeah? Um, but here's where I think we get hung up the most often, at least I do. Um, sometimes I put too much value and identity in people. Um, but here's the problem. People are going to fail us, yeah? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so when we put all of our hope and identity eggs in the people basket, Easter's coming, <laughs> basket, it's going to fail, yes? But when we put all of our little hope and identity baskets in the, um, in the Jesus basket, we put it in a place where we can rest assured that he's not going to fail us and that he's not going to forsake us, that he's faithful and sure, and we can be confident that he is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. So when we understand this, community takes on a whole different life, in my opinion. Uh, it's more grace. There's way more grace for our humanness, yeah? We can work through the conflict. We can listen to each other, and we can understand more quickly. Uh, we can learn to truly love one another, differences and all.
And that is how Paul ends just this this compact, short little book or this little letter that just um, is so epic to me. And so I hope you're encouraged to be people who are committed to prayer, to living out your faith and living in community with one another.